All right, raise your hand if you want to go first this morning. That way you won't get two questions. <laughs> All right, Sayla, we're going to go into John 1 this week. I've got questions number 1 through 7, so you get to choose. Huh? 7, God's favorite number. Who was the disciple of John the Baptist before he was a disciple of Jesus, according to John chapter 1? According to the Gospel of John, there were two of them mentioned there, and one of them is named. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> that's what brothers are for. Um, so in John chapter 1, it is, we are told that there were two disciples following John the Baptist when Jesus came, and they left John the Baptist to follow Jesus, and one of them is named. I'll give you another clue. He's the first evangelist in the New Testament. Two syllables. I was thinking as I was walking to church this morning, they used to ask questions in when I first got in adult Sunday school class, and I was like, this is cool, and, and I can remember Sundays where I was the last person asked, and I knew everybody else's, and I didn't know mine, <laughs> but guess what? The good news, Selah, is that you will remember probably more than anyone else that it was Andrew. Andrew is the first person to go tell someone about Jesus, and he was a disciple of John the Baptist. So when John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, follow him, not me, Andrew did. And then he went and told his brother, Peter. All right, Leo, one through six. Number five, what did John call Jesus when he saw him? Huh? No. I'll give, you, I'll give you the rest of you a clue. Look. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and I can also remember that it'll take a while for us to get into a flow so that um, Monday through Saturday you're thinking, okay, I'm going to look at the questions this week and I'm going to go into the scriptures. Trekker. One through five. Number one, where is the light of all mankind, according to John chapter one? Okay, that's, that's close, but specifically. Oh, no, it's not the Holy Spirit. So John chapter one says, in him was light, and that light was the light, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So it's in Christ, according to John chapter 1, where the light of all mankind is found. Who else? Got any older kids left? Work? Oh, there's Emmy. Emmy's wanting to know either 2, 3, let's see, 2 through 5? Yeah, 2, 3, 4, 6, thank you. Number 4. What is the sun full of, according to John chapter 1? Oh, I'll give you one more chance. You got one of them right. You got the second one right. Grace and? Well, that's, tr that's true also. But John chapter 1 tells us that he's full of grace and truth. Those are the two things, there are many more things, but those are the two things that John tells us that he is full of. Any older kids hiding anywhere? Oh, I'll, I'll catch her later. Miles, do you want a question? Would you like a question from Genesis 1 or John 1? Huh? Like, Brooke, go first? Okay. Brooke, are you ready? This question, this question asks for two words. I'm going to give you one of them, okay? 
So the, the fill in the blanks are through him, blank, blank, was made, and I will give you the second one, things. Through him, this three-letter word, through him, blank, things were made. Very good. Way to go, Brooke. Through him, all things were made. That's very important. Genesis 1, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. That's a very important point. Miles. Would you like a question from John or Genesis? Genesis. Um, I think we had that one last week. So I will, th- I will give you a similar question. We were, going, we're going to look at the beginning of our Bible. I'm asking for two words. I'll ask you for one. In the beginning, God blank the heavens and the earth. What did God do? Very good. Good job, guys. All right. Have I missed anybody? Okay, he's back there. All right. Um, Second order of business. This is Sending Sunday, the last Sunday of the month. So I picked a name out of the box. And she can come up now, Justine. Um, Turn in your Bibles for a reference point to Matthew chapter 10. So Justine is the, the red-faced person in this, and it applies to her, but, but I want you to remember that this is for everyone in the room every time we do this. This is a reminder that when we go out that door, we are representatives, ambassadors, as Paul says, of Jesus Christ. And without reminders, that word's going to come up in the message today, without me reminding you and you reminding me, I will drift into just whatever comes my way. Jesus, when he looks at the sinners of the world in in Matthew, actually chapter 9, sorry about that, but if you're in chapter 10, it's the end of chapter 9. Matthew 9 and verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, if Jesus walked through Mendota, Illinois, this is what he would think. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, today it's Justine, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. So what we do is a demonstration once a month. Justine's going to give us a little bit of an idea what her Monday through Saturday is like. So first of all, describe where you go, what you do for a week, and who you encounter. And you can face them. Well, then the next question would be, throughout your day, what types of challenges and what types of opportunities would you face? And I love the way that you started your day. So who's the first person of your every day to represent Jesus to? Your son. Right. So what type of opportunities have you discovered at JFK School in Spring Valley? Okay, and we're going to spend some time in prayer. And again, I'm praying for Justine, but the reminder is us as we go out into the week because the the truth is the harvest is plentiful and there aren't enough workers. Um, They are too few. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would send Justine into her week um, the exact way that Jesus sent his disciples. They had things they had to do, places they had to go, but he was reminding them that people are helpless and harassed and without a shepherd. And they need to know the only true shepherd, Jesus Christ. So I pray for opportunities this week for Justine, um, with Jason, in school, with the teachers. Um, and I pray that you would nudge her and remind her of what she's committing to right now so that opportunities will be recognized that she might miss. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 15 as we continue our study. 
The title of today's message, as you have seen, is um, Our Minister Paul. Paul will tell us that he's a minister to the Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. I wanted to also thank, I had a, a note to myself, thank you for the gifts last week. They were heart-touching and moving, and I, and I appreciate all of them. Um, so we go into Genesis chapter 15, and, and we discover Paul is a minister. So he's an apostle. He's, an, he's a herald. He's an evangelist, he's a prophet, he's an author, um, or I should say he's the recorder of, of the voice of God in our Bibles. Um, he is the, the, the penmanship, if I want to put it that way, of the gospel of Jesus Christ to such an extent that Paul calls it Paul's gospel. It is about Jesus Christ, it is never about Paul but he is strategic in many ways, and today we learn that he's a minister to us. Minister is believer to believer. It is within the church. It is in the assembly. Um, Paul writes 100% of his letters to believers. So, so we learn how to reach the lost. We learn how to relate and to witness to the lost, but the letter is received by leaders or by believers so Paul is writing the book of Romans from Corinth. He is sending it ahead of his journey there, and he is anticipating his journey. And he continues as we pick up our text in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. Paul writes, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So he gives us this first verse, and he, he praises them. He is praising people he has probably never met before. He is writing to a small percentage of Rome. If we went back to chapter 1, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And most people in Rome are going to make him feel ashamed if they can. There is a very small percentage we have historically and biblically that Jews have been cast out of Rome by this time. He is addressing Jews and Gentiles. So we're, he's addressing, in a sense, an underground church in Rome where it's dangerous to talk about Jesus Christ, where it is likely to cost you something, if not everything, if you mention Jesus Christ. And he has people that he has met in Corinth while he's writing this letter named Priscilla and Aquila who have just come from Rome because they were kicked out of Rome. So he is in a sense testifying here to what Priscilla and Aquila have told him that there are still believers there. They're hiding out. They're trying to get by. They're faithful. They're doing what they can to follow Christ. So Paul acknowledges them by saying, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. He is writing to people who would be new believers. In other words, the gospel begins in Jerusalem. Jesus says you're to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And unless Stephen is stoned, it stays in Jerusalem. So it starts to spread. And we have Philip starting to go up into Samaria. And then Peter is forced, in a sense, by Jesus up into Samaria. And then Paul comes on the scene and comes up from Judea into Syria, around to what is Turkey today, Asia Minor. And then he's making his way literally geographically towards Rome. Paul hasn't been to Rome, but he's hearing of believers that are there that he's going to look for. He's going to look them up when he gets to Rome. These are new believers, and he's saying that they're filled with knowledge. Oftentimes, we, we describe being filled with knowledge, the person who knows the most. He's not writing to those people. He's writing to people who are learning something new. And their lives are filled with a hunger to know more. There's no New Testament. There's no book of Romans. There's none of what we have as an account, the book of Acts, of what is going on. They have been told by people like Priscilla and Aquila that 
the Messiah has come. That just as it was prophesied in Psalm 69, Isaiah 52, and Isaiah 53, he has died, he has suffered, he has risen, he is glorified. They would have said, we're witnesses of it. It's true. So their hunger to grow is being acknowledged by Paul in this letter. Verse 15, Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. So if we look at some of those things, let's go to Romans chapter 6. We'll look at a couple of them because he's referring specifically to the book of Romans. This is a letter he is sending from a long way away from Corinth while he is dealing with a very difficult church in Corinth. He is anticipating that he will go to Rome, and he's anticipating that because Jesus told him that, that he would end up going to Rome, and Paul knows that. And he says, he says, I know you're growing, I know you're filled with the knowledge, and I've written to you boldly so that you don't stop, so that you keep pressing on towards the prize. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, um, we pick up the text. Here's some of those bold things that he is talking about. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but be alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Grace in America in 2021 is I can do whatever I want. I can believe whatever I believe and we'll all end up in heaven. That's not what grace is. Grace, as Dave said in Sunday school, Titus 2.11, is to teach us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Grace is everything that comes to us through Jesus Christ, the one who is full of grace and truth. Grace and truth never separate. If it's true about Jesus, it's grace. If it's grace, then it's true. So Paul is saying that it's true, that if you've died to sin, sin can no longer master you. Do not offer, Paul says, any part of your life to sin but instead offer every part of yourself to righteousness. Because you're not under the law, you're under grace. Grace is not the freedom to do what I want, it is the freedom to do what he wants. Because I now have the power to do it in the Holy Spirit. And I didn't have that power before. Drop down to verse 16 in Romans 6. Some more of those things that Paul is talking about he says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sins, you, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin, and you are slaves to righteousness. Obedient, obey, obedience, obey. We read that in the previous verses. Everyone obeys something. Paul says you don't stop obeying the world and obey nothing. He says the only, the, the picture of repentance if we looked at 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, is that you turn from the world to Christ to serve the living God. So the word slave here would be more like bondservant, more like I am committed to you. So I was committed to the world. I was committed to Jim. I was committed to what gratified me. And Paul says, since you've been brought from death to life, this new life, which is in Christ, which we talked about in John chapter 1 and verse 5, since that's a reality, then you are his slave. You're not in chains. You're not bound. 
You'll never be forced to do anything, but by the power of God and the Holy Spirit in you and Christ as your Lord and the Father over you, you have been authorized and filled with grace to do whatever he asks you to do. So Paul is saying in chapter 15, I've written you boldly about some of these things. Look at some of them in chapter 12. Some of these bold things that he's talking about in verse 15 of Romans 15. Romans chapter 12 begins, Therefore, and he's referring to the gospel, the first 11 chapters are Paul giving us the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He is saying, since you have come to God, worship God. How do I worship God, Paul? You offer your body as a living sacrifice. I am your servant. I'm here to serve you. We read in Sunday school, even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, didn't come to be served. He came to serve. So Paul is saying here, if you're going to follow Christ, you come to serve. That's what your purpose is. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You remember going through that verse, there is so much there. How does God make me like Christ? He transforms me. How does he transform me? Through the renewing of my mind. What does that mean? Why does Paul in all of his letters say, I thank God for you every day as I pray for you continuously, praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may grow in the knowledge of him who has called you so that you will live a life worthy of his call. Why does he always pray that? Because the renewing of the mind means I have his book. I have read his book. Renewal hasn't happened yet. The word of God isn't true for me until I'm living what it says. When I am living what it says, he changes me supernaturally. When I am doing what the word of God tells me to do, Luke 6, 40, the student is not above his teacher, but when he's fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. Every moment that I live the Bible, I become more like Jesus Christ. Renewing my mind. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Paul says, he gave me grace to tell you to be humble. When you, when you walk into church, it's not about you, Paul says. It's about him and it's about them. When you go out into the world, you love your neighbor as yourself. When you come into the church, you love one another and you honor one another. And he says in verse 4, we belong to each other. For just as each one of us has, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. These are the bold things that Paul is saying. These things all go against human nature. It is human nature to conform to the world. Solomon says in chapter 19 and verse 27 of Proverbs that we don't have to try to conform to the world. We just have to walk out there. When you walk out into the world, the world starts to change you to be like the world. Paul is saying, don't conform to that. Say no, Titus 2.11. But instead of that, renew your minds. Do what it says. And in verse 3, be humble. In verse 4, this is the body of Christ. Each one of you has a role I belong to you, you belong to me, we belong to each other. If we become a unified church, which is goal number two of the Holy Spirit, goal number one is to make me like Christ. 
Goal number two is to have a unity within a body of believers that the world does not recognize. And if that unity in that body of believers is recognized by the world, the world will want to know him. And that's what Paul is teaching us. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Paul is saying, I've written to you boldly to remind you of these things. I have in your notes, ministers are reminders as much as they are informers. In other words, my goal isn't necessarily that you learn new information today, but that you be reminded of the information that you've already taken in and some new information as well. Peter is talking about the exact same things here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right for me to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. This is written in 67 AD, the year that Peter is executed. We know from this letter that Peter knows he's about to be executed. Paul writes 2 Timothy telling us he knows he's about to be executed. History says that Peter and Paul were executed on the same day because Nero was trying to snuff out Christianity. What Peter is saying here, and he's writing here, and he'll tell us in the next verse that he says, before I go, I want to remind you of the things you already know. I want to remind you how to live. So if we went back and read verses 3 through 11, here is Peter doing what Paul does in his openings, and here is Peter in verses 3 through 11 saying, do this, do it more, do it more, be more faithful, follow Christ, live for others, live for him. And he says that we'll be a light in a dark place if we do that. So Peter says in verse 13, I think it is right for me to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Paul and Peter described the physical body as a tent, and they both know, Peter knows here, he's about to leave this tent and go to be with the Lord. Verse 14, because I know that I will soon put it aside. Peter is testifying. God has, always ma- has already made it clear to him. Maybe the soldier that is watching him in prison has said, your execution day is this day. But either way, he says, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. Christ has made clear to the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, Peter, you're about to be crucified. Verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always remember these things. So Peter and Paul repeatedly saying I want to remind you who it is you serve I want to remind you that you were once slaves to the world that you're not slaves to the world anymore that you've crossed from death to life and I want to remind you that since that has happened give yourself as a living sacrifice to God Peter has very clear vividly this is the end for me um I've fought the good fight I've finished the race Peter might have said just like Paul said in 2 Timothy 4. Um, turn in your Bibles back to Romans now, chapter 15. We pick it up in verse 16, and we see the Trinity in the Gospel. Is the word Trinity in the Gospel or in the Bible? No, it's not. Is the Trinity in the Bible? It's all through the Bible. And here's one of the places that we see it. I'll read verse 15 with it. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points, like Peter is saying, to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. God gave Paul grace to remind us to live for Christ. Verse 16, to be a minister... The grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul is being a minister to us in this room right now with the things that he is writing. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God 
sanctified through the Holy Spirit. Paul is understanding the whole picture. Grace was given to the Apostle Paul, stopped on the road to Damascus, follow Christ as Lord. You are my chosen instrument, Acts 9.15, to bring the gospel to kings and to rulers, to Israel and to the Gentiles. You will be the gospel preacher to the Gentiles. You will tell them how to follow Christ. God gave me this grace so that I could tell you, and the plan of God is that the message would come through you about John 17, probably about verse 21, that not only these, but those who will hear the message through them, Jesus prayed before he went to the cross that night. And Paul is that person. He is praying, Jesus is in Gethsemane, he is praying for the gospel that he, he knows is going to go through someone who is currently murdering Christ followers. And he knows that the plan of God is for the gospel to come through Paul, for us to turn from the world and stop conforming, for us to follow Christ, to renew our minds by saying, I'll take your word, I'll understand what it says and I'll apply it to my life so that, he says at the end of verse 16 here, that an offering of sacrifice to God is literally people in Mendota, Illinois in 2021. Through the plan of God that the gospel and the book of Romans would be ministered, Paul is saying here, in the future so that we would live a life worthy so that an offering would come up to God and the offering would be sanctified believers. Holy Spirit, sanctified believers. When I come to know Christ, I am regenerated into a new creation. I've crossed from death to life. I've come into the family of God. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit who regenerates me, Titus 3, 5, into a new creation. And sanctification begins what is sanctification it is God changing me to be like his son and the reality is that the more he has freedom to do that because it's always my decision the more he will make me like Christ and that's to do everything else that he is calling me to do if I have that understanding I'm following Christ everything will fall into place. If we understand who it is that we are fixing our eyes on, we will do things differently. If Christ physically walked out that door with me today and walked everywhere I went, my conscience would always be aware of that fact. And Paul is teaching us again and again and again, that's what's happening the Holy Spirit's job is to point me to Jesus Christ, John 14, John 15, John 16, so that I will live a life worthy of what he has called me to. And he is stressing those things. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. As we see a picture in the closing of a letter of the Holy Spirit, God the Father and God the Son, The last verse in 2 Corinthians, as Paul is closing with a doxology, and he says in verse, six, or verse 14, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's full of grace and truth? Jesus is. What, is. what is his full name? Lord Jesus Christ. Master, Savior, Messiah. And we always receive him as master, according to Paul. And then he is immediately Savior and Messiah in our lives. So he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's a doxology. That's a closing. That's a reminder. The grace given to you has given you everything you need to do to follow Christ. Everything you will ever need was given to you the moment that you chose to make Christ your Lord. The one full of grace and truth who has no less grace when he fills you with grace 
Paul says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. We talk about what's wrong with the world. Ultimately, it points back to love. The only way we can love God is if he offers love to us along with free will. Which again means, free will means bad choices, sin, evil, suffering, a savior. And all of that is realized with Jesus on the cross. So in order for me to say, I love you back, I have to have free will. And free will is costly. It costs Jesus everything, and it costs corruption in this world, but it is the only way for human beings to love God who loves them. And then he says, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Again, these are all intentional. Grace comes from Christ. He's full of grace and truth. The love begins with the Father, our Abba Father, our Daddy, the one we pray to. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is the goal of every church. The Holy Spirit's goal in this room is that we would lay down our lives for each other. We would make our choices based on each other. Turn back to Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 17. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. This word glory is important in the Greek. It could be boast, which Paul, which is usually translated as Paul is never glorified. He is never receiving glory. He will receive a glorified body when he goes to the, the rapture, when we meet Paul coming down to us and we go up to him and we meet the Lord in the air, he will have a glorified body. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He is saying in verse 17, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. So he has just told us, I'm a minister to the Gentiles. My plan is that I would share the gospel with them, that I would remind them boldly to follow Christ, that they would in fact do that, that they would be offered as a sacrifice sanctified by the Holy Spirit to God. Paul says, that's what I glory in. So the question that is often asked, what are you known for? In other words, if, if we asked 100 people that you've met in the last six months, what would they say that they knew about you? Paul says, they're going to know that I believe in Jesus Christ. They're going to know that I'm a minister to the Gentiles. They're going to know that grace was given to me to offer grace to you. So Paul would have been seen with his group of disciples coming towards a town to a place he's never been before, and they would have known it was Paul. Because Paul was known for this glory. Everywhere Paul went, he talked about Jesus. Paul told us last week that the hope of glory is a person. It is the person, Jesus Christ. No one would have known Paul without hearing about Jesus Christ. That's a challenge to me. People shouldn't know who I am and what I'm about if they don't know that my relationship with Jesus is what I glory in. Turn to 1 Corinthians, you're real close, chapter 2. Verse 1. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does this brilliant man know? Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, I'm a witness. That's what Paul went about with. We turn back to Romans chapter 5 and he's talking about repentance, justification, and access to the throne in heaven, and he's boasting in that hope. And he says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He's saying the same thing there. Paul was a boaster. He would have seemed to a pagan person as a bragger. Was he bragging about Jesus Christ? He is awesome. He's the only thing, only one, only path, only thing you will ever need. His name is Jesus Christ. He loves you so much. He died for you. He wants to know you. He wants to share his kingdom with you. I'm a witness of his resurrection. Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn there, but in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says in verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, I'm never going to boast about anything else. Jesus Christ died for me, I died for him, and now I live for him. And that's all that matters. So, Paul is saying the same thing when we're in Romans chapter 15 and verse 17 then when he is saying, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I am energized. I am, he tells us in um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, I remember before God our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your perseverance, you're hanging in there. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to do this, like Peter says, until the tent of this body is no longer used by me. Endurance by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was a practical thing to Paul. Paul, you're in a prison cell. His own testimony is that he was in prison one time and everybody he knew was gone. John the Baptist, when he was put there, he said, go ask Jesus if he's really the one. Paul is there and he's telling us here that I'm going to boast in that prison cell in the hope of the glory of Jesus Christ so that I can continue to follow him, that I can have the strength to do whatever he will ask me to do. Romans 15, verse 18. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to a, a Lycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. In the coming verses, we won't get into them too much. He's talking about going to Rome. And he's talking about here in verse 18 and 19. Read it with, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by, by what I have said and done. That's a, that's a word that has dropped out of the language of the gospel in America, obey. How many times have we seen that word today? We, we've seen it probably ten times today in this message so far. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, you're obeying somebody. You're either obeying the world, yourself, or Christ. And he says, I want you to know that you're free to obey Christ. That's what you are free to, and he will reward you, Paul would explain to us, so far beyond anything that you would do for him, but always in the Bible, a Christ follower is identified by following Christ. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That we would follow him as a testimony of being a follower, that we would glory in Christ Jesus in the service of God, just like he says in verse 17. Verse 18 and 19 together, I will venture to... I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God, a living sacrifice, by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of God. Paul is is describing everywhere he's been so far. If we had a huge map up here, it's a blank, so it looks funny. But Paul is starting down here in Jerusalem. He goes up into Syria. He goes up into what we know as Turkey today, where there is 
um, Iconium and Derby and Lystra where he meets Timothy and then he makes that circle bigger as he goes up into Asia Minor where there's Ephesus and Laodicea and Colossae and Smyrna and Pergama. He goes across to Troas which is about at the top of the sea. He comes down around to Macedonia where he has Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and then he goes down to Corinth and to Athens and, and to Caesarea and Paul is, has this 1,400-mile circle where he has literally reached every person he can reach. And finally, he gets to make the circle bigger. So if you had a diameter circle and it went bigger, you have a lycrium here and you have Rome right across the sea from it. And Paul is expanding as he goes up to those places. Turn to Acts chapter 19. As he is in Asia Minor a place south of Elycrium, and he is spreading the gospel in Ephesus with enormous satanic spiritual opposition. And these, these people are worshiping the stars. They're worshiping gods. They're worshiping Diana. And they're worshiping Diotrephes and, and these gods. And they're making millions of dollars. And... and all of these people come together and there's this huge repentance and they burn their witchcraft books in the streets and there's an uprising because they make their money from Diana and Diotrephes. So Paul is in the midst of this and Paul says in Romans um, 15 verses verse 18 and 19 that power was testifying to what Paul was doing. We pick up the text in Acts chapter 19 and verse 6. While he is in Ephesus, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. These are the churches that Paul went to the most often, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Understand what he's going to tell us in Romans. Isn't that the Holy Spirit or Satan kept him from Rome? He has to reach everybody in between Jerusalem and Rome first. That's why it has taken him a while to get to Rome. But we read on, verse 7. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So we passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas, a um, place where he got a vision to reach Macedonia a few chapters earlier. Verse 9. During that night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia. I'm in the wrong chapter. That was the place I was familiar with. That's when he had the vision. Chapter 19, verse 6. This will make more sense, hopefully. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. 100% of the time in the Bible, speaking in tongues is this picture. Every time the gospel comes to a new people group, Jews are there to see the power of God and that the power of God came to that people group and they would speak in tongues. In this case here, God's testimony is coming through Paul's hands. Paul is not giving them the Holy Spirit by Paul. He is baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ because what has happened is in Ephesus is Apollos came there first and he was a flamboyant, well-schooled teacher who knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. So Paul comes there and they, Paul says, have you received the Holy Spirit? We haven't even heard about him. So they hear about him. He talks about the Spirit's role in relationship to Christ Jesus, that, that Jesus is actually going to indwell you through the person of the Holy Spirit. So he lays his hands on them, and they do this in the name of Jesus Christ, and they speak in tongues, proving that the Holy Spirit is indwelling them. Verse 7, there were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. That's part of what we're going to do in Church Builders this afternoon, is the arena where it's religion versus truth, how do you speak to it? Paul does it by arguing vigorously that 
You hold to Moses. Look what Moses is writing about Jesus. You hold to Isaiah the prophet. You hold to David the king. They're all writing about Jesus. That's what Paul is telling them in the synagogue. He has no book of Romans. He has no book of John. He is showing them from the Old Testament the Messiah was here. He fulfilled all of this. Look at all of these prophecies that he fulfilled. Why are you denying him? So the, the pushback in Ephesus is getting stronger because now the Jews are against him there. Verse 8, or verse 9, But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That's the, the following of Jesus Christ was called the way or the sect of the way initially. Verse, uh, reading on, So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So Tyrannus is just a, a, a person who has a, a hall where philosophers and whoever wants to speak, um, he would open up the hall to, to, to new speakers, and whenever that door opened, Paul would go in there, and they would fill the place, and Paul would tell them about Jesus Christ. So when the Jews rejected them, he would go to the hall of Tyrannus. Verse 10, this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. If we read Acts 19 and 20, we would know exactly what they heard, that they would have heard it all. Verse 11, this is the, the power of signs and wonders he's talking about in his letter to Rome. God, verse 11, did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. So people try to use the book of Acts to say what we do today. The book of Acts is the apostolic age of people like Paul laying the foundation for the church. And the anointing on Paul was so strong that if his handkerchief would have dropped out of his pocket and you would have picked it up and you would have wait, made your way to this person's home that someone is demon-possessed and you took that handkerchief and touched them, the demon would have come out. This is a testimony that, that happened continuously around Paul so that Paul would be recognized for the truth. So the Apostle Paul was a Christian killer transformed to a Christ follower and the testimony from heaven whenever Paul would bring the gospel to a new people group the Holy Spirit would come in people they would speak in tongues Paul would heal people even without realizing it when an apron or a handkerchief would would a person could be in stage four cancer and an apron that Paul wore to build his tent was picked up and run to those people and touched them with it and they were healed Healing in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, 100% of the time, is where people put their faith in Jesus Christ. It is always for the purpose of the kingdom and the gospel. Go back to Romans chapter 15. So when Paul is talking about in verse 18 that it was testified by powers and signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Didn't make it any easier for Paul. He was persecuted everywhere. When we read in Acts chapter 19 that they refused to believe. Doesn't mean they didn't understand the truth. Doesn't mean they didn't know that Paul was telling the truth and they were not telling the truth. It meant that proof doesn't always mean persuasion. Paul would prove to people that Jesus died and raised from the dead and that he's the only way to heaven and people would still say no the Pharisees said we have our religion we don't need you the people in Ephesus would say we have Diana we have Diotrephes we have our own worship we don't want you so today atheists are saying to the question if it if everything the Bible says about Jesus were true, would you follow him? People say, no. What do you mean, no? How can you say no? 
because I don't want him running my life. That's what they're saying in Ephesus. That's what they're saying in Mendota today. If he's going to ask me to follow him, then I'm not in. If he will save me, give me a guaranteed trip to heaven, and just leave me alone, I'll take it. And Jesus would walk away from those people because they didn't have faith. Back to chapter 15, verse 20. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And he quotes Isaiah. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. He's not hindered by Satan. He's not hindered by the Holy Spirit. He is hindered because I want to bring the gospel everywhere it's not known. And his circle keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Think of a circle 1,400 miles in diameter. That's what he's covered to this point. Now the circle gets bigger and it includes Rome, which is the capital of the world. Turn to Isaiah 52, where Paul is quoting from. Paul is quoting from Isaiah 52. He would have been preaching from Isaiah 52 when he walked the earth. In Isaiah 52, we'll pick up the text in verse 6. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. Verse 7, he quotes in giving us the gospel in Romans 10 and verse 15 where he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. It's the same in Isaiah as it is in Romans. Paul is saying, in God's eyes, how beautiful it is for someone to share Christ with someone else. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And he is saying it in Isaiah here. He's going to prophesy through Isaiah both the reaching of Israel and the reaching of the Gentiles. We read on verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, Romans 10, 15, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Watchmen in the Bible, Old Testament and New, is a proclaimer of the gospel. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of God. This is what Paul is preaching from um, as he's writing this letter to Rome. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, come out from her and be pure. The call of crossing death into life and being sanctified. You who carry the articles of the Lord's house, but you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be at your rear guard. See my servant and the servant is always either Israel in Isaiah or Jesus, and it's almost always Jesus. He's talking about Jesus here. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. That's the end of Psalm 22. Verse 14, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. That is a prophecy of Jesus Christ that was fulfilled that is telling us in that verse that the, the beatings on Jesus approaching the cross were so brutal <laughs> that he couldn't tell he was human. This is the text in which Paul is saying, tell people about him. Tell people about him. Verse 15, 
So he will sprinkle the nations, and the kings will shut their mouths because of him. And Pilate did. For what they were not told, this is what Paul is quoting in Romans chapter 15. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. So Paul is preaching this in Romans, saying, this is reality. 56 AD, Isaiah 52, and the last verse 15 is happening right now. And because right now is the church, the message is right now, 2021. Let's pray. Lord, the more the scriptures point us to look at your son, the more we realize how important it is to look at your son. Realizing what he chose to do before the creation of the world, having Isaiah describing what that was like, having Paul tell us, you've got to believe in him. Lord, help us boast this week. Help me boast about Jesus Christ this week to use his name, to act like it's true. And Lord, give us opportunities to proclaim Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.